it's so good to see. Whatever you do, don't lean left. That's that's a terrifying. We'll know we'll know Hunter fell down the stairs. If, it, if there's some if there's some kind of like charismatic healing tongue situation, then Hunter goes down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. Don't press your luck. Good evening. It's good to see everybody. It's a beautiful a beautiful evening. From what was such a cold morning. <laughs> let's pray. Let's read Psalm 133. We're going to talk about Westminster Confession of Faith 12, which is adoption tonight. That'll be really cool. And then it's this is like the precursor for spring. The smokers are out doing the things as we're getting ourselves mentally ready for warmer weather. So amen to that. Well, let's pray and then We'll dive in. Father, we're so incredibly grateful for this space, our family gathered here in this evening. We ask, uh, ask you to bless us, Lord, to lift us up, that all that we do is done in great joy and for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. It is, it really is a good evening. I'm excited. We've had an incredible week. Shrove Tuesday, Ash Wednesday, Thursday and Friday were, it's been, it's been a really, it's been a really encouraging and deep kickoff to the Lenten season. We, we talked just the other day about it's a season of bright sadness. Uh, the bright sadness in this season is that we, we're acknowledging and thinking about the suffering of Christ, the road to Calvary, but there is a brightness in, in us as well, and that's going to play into what we talk about today because we already have a status coming into Lent. We, we have a status as adopted sons and daughters of, of Jesus Christ, of God, that we're his children already, and so this isn't a season of earning favor. But it is a season of reflection. So we, we think about it from that bright sadness. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight is, is adoption. And adoption's really beautiful. I was just thinking a little bit earlier about how adoption and Christians kind of seem to go hand in hand. If you hear people in Christian families that are adopting children, that's not a surprise to anybody. It's a pretty regular thing, especially within, within Orthodox Bible-believing churches, is to see families that either can't have their own children or have their own children and then want to, to bring the love of more children into their families. You see adoption. And so I don't know if that's specifically correlated, but it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me that the people who God has adopted also want to go out and share that love by adopting other people. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at our status as the adopted children of God. And it's actually a really short se uh, section of the Westminster Confession. It's chapter 12. And so this is what the confession says. It says, all those that are justified, God vouchsafeth. We need to work that into more sentences. God vouchsafeth safeth in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. So the first thing that the, this particular section of the confession says is those of us who are justified, we talked about that last, last time, right? made not guilty before God. 
we become, we become God's children by having His name put upon us through the spirit of adoption. We receive, we receive our name through the spirit of adoption. And it made me think as well that how important names are. That's why we spend so much time thinking about what should we name the baby? What should we name this clump of cells? kidding. What should we name the baby? We spend a lot of time thinking about names because names are very important, right? Naming something gives it an identity. It makes it real and it makes it tangible. And the very first person in human history to name things was Adam. Genesis 2.19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Image bearers of God have been given the responsibility to go out and name things because that's important. That's how we, when I say Grace the dog, you all know who I'm talking about. When I say Jason, you all know who I'm speaking of. Names are very important. When people marry, what do they do? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's like, well, he didn't say the rest of your names. It's like, it's like, hey, Denver, woo, he said my city name. He knows me. Um, <laughs> what happens when people marry usually or should happen? Right, they, they, they take the name, they change their name, right? We, we change family names. Uh, when people are adopted, they actually take on a new name. So when I adopted the Blondies, for those of you that, that are new, newer, when, when we first came together, Chris and I came together, we, we had brown-haired kids, we had blonde-haired kids, and we didn't want to have yours and mine, us and theirs, and so we had the Blondies and the Brownies. So when I adopted the Blondies, which was, it's coming up on six years, which is really crazy. We got new birth certificates. I received new birth certificates for the Blondies. And it said my name is their biological father. Their names were changed because I adopted them, right? So they now have the last name Thai because they were adopted into the family, uh, into the family of Thai, the clan of Thai. And it was actually the thing that I had no idea was going to happen in the adoption process. You have to pay lawyers because you have to pay lawyers for everything. And and so you, you fill out all this paperwork, and you background check some fingerprints and whatnot. And then I think I found out the day we went to court. Because so we got these new, because they give you, here's your new birth certificates. Huh, new names. But it actually makes sense, right? Because I adopted them. They are now my children. It is reflected as such that they are my children, so their name changes. They have all become a thigh. And now they are also my children forever, right? I can't undo the adoption. 254th trimester abortions. I'm sorry, I can't undo this, right? You're not viable, so no, right? This is a permanent, this is a permanent thing. I am their father. They are my children forever. It's not something we can go undo. Oh, we don't want you anymore. See you later. No. So they're my children. They've been given a new name, which is now their name. This is the exact same thing that happens to us when we come to faith in Jesus. You see, the spirit of adoption gives us a new name. We are adopted by God, and, and when the spirit moves in us, right, cuts our heart deep, we respond to the call of faith, and God places upon us a new name. Jeremiah 14, 9. Why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Revelation 3, 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and she, he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of uh, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. When God adopts you, you receive a new name. It's part of your new life. Like these, I was just reading, 
finished a handful of books today. I think I finished two books today. But one of the books I finished was, was talking about, sometimes we, we just talk about like the benefits we get from, from God is like this kind of like in my heart spiritual. It's actually real. It's a new life. It's a new you. It's, it's, it's tangible, physical, real benefits in real space, in real time, and they come with a new name. Your new name, your new identity is now that of a son or daughter of God, which is what actually makes us brothers and sisters which is what makes us an actual family forever. And it's why we call God our Father. 2 Corinthians 6.18 I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I think one of the most beautiful titles that we have for God is our Father. And, and it's important for us to think about why we are allowed to even address God as our Father. There's a, a personalness, right? An intimacy in that part of the relationship. Our Father. Matthew 6, 8 through 13, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. And it's interesting, the Jews of the day wouldn't have referred to God as their father. Now, Jews, since Jesus' death, have a prayer called Avinu Malkenu. You know that. Oh, yeah. Our father, our king. Um, but, but you would not have personally referred to God as, as he's singing, and I know, I hear it too, I can hear it in my... Um, <laughs> he can serenade you with Hebrew songs outside afterwards. But... <laughs> In fact, actually, Jesus tells us not to pray like the Pharisees, doesn't he? He tells us not to pray like them at all. Don't make a big show of your prayer. Don't make a big scene of it. Don't make people see how righteous and pious you can be. Instead, actually pray to your Father in private. Because prayer between us and our Father is, is intimate. I mean, it is. It's, it's a communion with Him, and it's never for show. It's never, ever for sure show. And that's why we can begin it with our Father in heaven. It acknowledges this, this deeply personal, deeply caring relationship between God and us, the Father who picks His children. So that's why you need to think about these words specifically when we recite the Lord's Prayer and when you pray to God, our Father, our Father in heaven. Why can we pray? How, how wonderful it is that we can pray to God as a parent, because he adopted us as his children. You see, God's always actually been a father to his people. And we can see this in this reference in God's discussion with Moses in Exodus 4, 22 through 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Israel is his son. It's his firstborn son. There's a reference, a familial reference. It's part of God's covenant that we're all members of, part of God's covenant that we're all members of, that there's this familial relationship. That's why we have all this familial language that we use within the church. We're going to talk about that tomorrow in marriage and divorce and about the church as the bride of Christ and, and how that sets us up for marriage. But Israel is his firstborn son. But for Israel to be his son, that means God has to be his what? It means God has to be his father. And we see this idea also in Isaiah 63, 16. Doubtless you are our father, though Abraham was ignorant of, the, of us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from everlasting is your name. 
So since we are his, hey, since we are his adopted, we actually get to use his personal name, Father, right? We get to use that personal title to communicate with God because we are his adopted children. But that doesn't remove the requirement for us to be in awe and reverence. We're still to be in that serve the Lord with fear and awe, that reverential fear, but it, it, it is reverence because we have a loving Father. We have a perfect Father. We, we are in fear and awe because He's our Father and He leads us, He chose us, He protects us, He comforts us, He's steadfast. Part of our challenge can be we can impute poor characteristics of our earthly fathers on our heavenly Father, right? All of us as fathers and all of our fathers have sinned. And so we can look at earthly fathers and then think about a heavenly father and think, my earthly father missed the boat on some big things. But they're not the same. God is our perfect father, and we want our earthly fathers to acknowledge God as their perfect father so that they will try to lead in the manner that he has taught them to lead to try to be more repentant and good fathers, right? Men will always lead. The question is, well, will it be good men or will it be bad men? So we need to remember that our Father in heaven is a perfect Father. And in, as a perfect Father, that is what allows Him to perfectly protect us, perfectly comfort us. And He's steadfast. It doesn't change. It, it, it doesn't change with the emotions of the day or how His day at work went or something like that, right? It, <laughs> really, really rough day. <laughs> See what I had to do to Sodom and Gomorrah this morning. <laughs> um, it doesn't change with the ups and downs of God's mood, right? He, he, he's not us. And so that's important for us to think about when we're praying to fa our Father, when we're thinking about God as our Father. So our perfect example of a perfect Father allows us to pray to Him as Father because we are His children. And, and, and that is what allows us to cry out the Hebrew word Abba, which means Father. We are able to cry out to Him. We, so much of the Psalms are, are lamentations, or even, even parts of Ecclesiastes are crying out, Job crying out to the Father that can save, right? We are able to cry out to Abba, our Father, and it says in Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. There's, there's real, tangible, real-life physical benefits to being the adopted children of God because it changes the way we are connected to God. We have received his name and we are a member of his family because we are adopted into it. And, and he can't unadopt us, right? This, you can't be in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. It doesn't work like that. It, we are in, we are adopted, we are members of his family and that's why we have access to the throne of grace. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness with access, with confidence, through faith in him. We have access with confidence, right? Not cockiness. The pilots know there's a thin line between confidence and cockiness. One is really good. <laughs> One is really bad. We can access God with boldness and confidence because we have faith through Him. He moved and stirred in us, drew us towards Him because He loves us. And now we have the confidence and boldness to go to Him as our Father. I mean, think about, think about a big, powerful leader. He's busy at home. He works in his home study. He's busy traveling. He's taking care of the things he needs to take care of. He's leading the people the way that he needs to lead them. And his, his small child comes to the French doors of the study and cries for him. He's bleeding or he's 
hurt or he needs something from, from his father. If he's a bad father, what does he do? Shoes him away. Too busy. Now is not the time. But if he's a good father, what does the good father do? He drops everything for him, for his child, who's cried out to him. And he goes to him because it's his child. How can I care for you? How, you are my priority. Because children have access to good fathers all the time. We have access to a good father all the time. Yes, God? <laughs> we have access to him all the time. God is willing to stop whatever he's doing to hear your prayer. Jim Wilson has a book called Principles for War. It's about strategic evangelism. I still need to get you a copy, by the way. Uh, it's incredible, and it speaks especially to the masculine kind of heart because it uses... He went to the Naval Academy, and he was in the Navy for quite a while, so he uses a lot of military metaphors about talking about communication and consolidation, economy of force, and all of these things. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say about this. It was going to be really good. but Constant access to God. We have a line of communication. Ah, thank you. The line of communication is open constantly, and that line of communication is via prayer. And, and one of the beautiful things about prayer is prayer allows us to be anywhere in the world. We can be anywhere in the world right in this moment by closing our eyes and praying for those people because God has access outside of space and time to everybody. And, and we underestimate the power of prayer. Everybody has done that. We underestimate the power of prayer. But you have been given direct access to God, not through an intermediary, you don't have to talk to the priest to talk to God. You can go right to God at any time. That's why Paul tells you to pray only once in a while. No, what does Paul tell us? How are we supposed to pray? Without ceasing. How are we supposed to pray without ceasing? It's because we acknowledge God in all of the things we do. This is all of Christ for all of life. And we can only do that because God is accessible all the time. God can't tell you to pray without ceasing if he can't hear you all the time because he is your good father. Romans 5.2 through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our access is personal and direct. There's no intermediary, like I said, and it is through faith that we stand in His grace because we are His children. And then we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are hopeful people because we are actually living in the glory of God because He's our Father. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It is forever. We don't understand forever. We all think we understand forever, but we really don't. Forever is, is so much bigger than our temporal minds can, get, can, can really get wrapped around, right? But that's why when, when we repeat things, especially in Hebrew or in Greek, it's the double emphasis, right? You've got to have the right emphasis on the right syllable. The double emphasis when they say forever and ever, that's a really big deal. It's not just somebody was kind of bored and they wanted to repeat the words. Truly, truly, I tell you, forever and ever. It is for eternity. It does not end. Everything that we're used to in this life is temporal. Buildings fail, people die, the pets die, right? If we just leave this house here, eventually after hundreds of years, it will just crumble. That's not God. God is eternal and God's people are eternal. And once you are in the family of God and you are sealed in the family of God, adopted into the family of God, given a new name, it is forever. And that's why you have hope. You see, we cannot be God's adopted children or cannot not be adopted. That's, that's a bad. We are always God's adopted children. 
once he has adopted us. It's this permanent state of existence, and our hope comes from that because it cannot be taken away from you. Nobody can take that away from you. Just like I can't unadopt the blondies. I can't go and be like, well, I've had enough of this fun. Right? I can't do that. And of course, I would never desire to. I'm their father. They're my children. I love them. Even if they misbehave or have a bad day or they sin, right? I don't give up and quit on them because they're my children. Nor would I give up on my biological children. They're my children. They all have been given my name. They are mine and I am theirs forever. That, is, that, that comes together forever. And so our hope is found in our adoption because it seals us to the family of God forever. And it provides us the assurance that we can call out and cry out to God whenever we need Him. And He will care for us. It's not like, well, suicide hotline, please hold. Like, it's not like that. I mean, like calling 911. Calling 911, please hold, transferring, please hold, transferring. God hears you right away. There's no shipping you off to somebody else's service. He, he, he hears you right away, and He will not turn His back on you, ever. He will not turn His back on you. Uh, we, we spoke about this briefly in our Ash Wednesday liturgy on Wednesday. Uh, God ha- does not hate anything that He has made. He forgives the sins of those who are His because they're repentant. He desires not the death of His children, but like any good parent, He wants His children to live in, in forever life. He wants them the joy. All good parents want their children to experience truth and joy. God wants that for His children. He doesn't want to see them die. He wants to see them alive. And, and good parents are accessible and available for their children, right? Good parents don't lead their children down a path of death. They lead their children on a path of life. Our God does the same thing for us. Life in Jesus Christ is eternal life. God has provided the means and the path of salvation, eternal life for those who have faith in Christ. And then he's given you commandments to follow. He's given you things to help build his kingdom here on earth. And that's where hope is found because nobody can take it away from you. So taking on the new name of a Christian, little Christ, Christian, little Christ, you are entitled to all the rights and all the benefits that become as being an adopted member. The blondies are are entitled to the equal rights and benefits as the brownies, right? For whatever the thigh state is to, to, to the inheritance of a thousand generations because they are mine. We receive an internal, eternal inheritance from God that is ours because we are his children. Hebrews 6.12, that, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's patience required. There's faith required. But do you believe in the promises of God? We ask this all the time in church. They're real. The promises of God are part of His covenantal promises to all of the people that are, that are His. There are promises. And if you are God's children, you should believe in God's promises. It ends up being a sign of the maturity of your faith and a hope of the promise of God that is made in you that He will fulfill, right? Because you acknowledge that He is the loving Father. When you trust in the promises of God, you are acknowledging that He is a trustworthy, loving Father. 1 Peter 1, 3-4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You guys can just push in. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Good evening, good evening. See, here's the beautiful thing. Your adoption in Christ cannot fade away. It won't fade away. It has privileges, and those are real intangible privileges for your life here and for your life eternal. 
It's not just some future far off hope. It, the, the hope is lived out right now. That's why we're in joy. One of the things that, that I really enjoyed in Yuri Brito's new book, the, uh, what's it called? The priesthood of the war of the priesthood, the war of the priesthood. It's a, it's about the spiritual armor found in Ephesians six. But he says that if, that when people come into a home, into one of our homes, that the way that we dance and the way that we sing and the way that we feast, they should feel the eternal hope and love of God. That's what hospitality is supposed to be about. It's not just coming to here to have a good meal, but it's that we experience the hope of God by being together here as the body of Christ. It's our living hope. It's our living hope because we're here with our brothers and sisters. Like, why don't we want to have a big, really incredible family reunion a few times a week? That's what we come to do here as the body of Christ. We are living out our living hope. It's not some future far-off hope, but it is a hope that is alive and well here. And it's, a, it's alive and well here because your faith is alive and well. Your faith is actionable. Your orthodoxy drives your orthopraxy. You live it out through your fingertips, right? And, and that's because our faith didn't come from us. It's the indwelling of God's Spirit in us, working in us. And, and that's why I call you guys family all the time. I call you family here, I call you family at church, I call you family in the email because we are actually a family, because we all share one good father. We share one good father, which makes us brothers and sisters, and he is a good father who loves us and he teaches us how to love. He teaches us how to go into the world and interact. He is a perfect father who provides perfect hope, and he's the father that you can cry out to. He will comfort you in any time that you need comfort, and he will provide for you, he will protect you, and he will even chastise you when you need it. Because sometimes, many times, we need that too, don't we? And he does that because he is good, because he loves us. We, his adopted children, are to live out the benefits of our adoption daily. You should be living out actively your inheritance, these beautiful promises that God has given you. You should be living them out in every sphere of your life, in your homes, in your workplaces, in the way you raise your children, in the way you interact with your neighbors, especially how you interact with your enemy. And we'll talk about enemies on Wednesday. We live in this, this hope and this joy because we're heirs to the most wonderful inheritance ever. It's eternal salvation. It, it, it is, it's better than riches. If you don't believe me, go read Ecclesiastes again. And go read the very, pull this up. I love this. This wasn't on the list, but really quick. I love this. It, we just finished Ecclesiastes in school. I had the kids read it, and that was really great. One of the girls, this is like my favorite comment. She's in Tristan's pre-algebra class. She's like, why does all he talk about is vanity? <laughs> it's like, because we need to hear it. But this is the very end, the very end of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon's the richest man. He had all of the things. He had everything that anybody could ever have desired and more. This is the very end. This is 12, 9 through the end. And moreover, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the, the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and said in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholar are like well, scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of, the many, uh, of making many books, there is no end. People run in their mouths. There is no end. And such study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So just be careful. So he was worried about self-help when he wrote this. There are many people and many scholars and many words and many people with lots of thoughts, but here is what it all boils down to. The conclusion of the whole matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's it. Fear God and keep his commandments. And, and when you do that, it's actually really joyful because you're following the path your good father has laid out in front of you. And so we live in that hope. We live in hope of our good father because he has adopted us as his sons and daughters because he loves us, which is why we pray the way we do. If you'll stand up and join me, we'll close out with the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. We'll pray again. And then we're going to eat barbecue ranch chicken, brats, and pot dogs, and everything. A little bit of time. A little bit of time. Yeah, we'll sing a lot.